All right, book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Okay, we have a lot to do, um, but we're going we're gonna to approach this in a little different way. Um, our, our journey through Romans, especially from 18 and fall, well, actually, I take that back. The entire study of the book of Romans hasn't kind of, we've definitely not done it in a traditional way, and that's, that's I think, a good thing. If we did it in a traditional way, we wouldn't have spent six, seven sermons looking at a hermeneutical method and how to understand um, how New Testament writers use Old Testament passages, right? So that's why we don't do it in a traditional way, because if we did it in a traditional way, that would not happen. Because of things going on uh, in the culture right now, and again with the whole Beth Moore meltdown over the last few days, um, we, um, we decided, you know, to skip from verse 2 down to verse uh, 18, and we're trying our best to work through this section, right? We, we've been working through it. It hasn't flowed exactly the way I wanted it to flow, but there's a, a reason for that because I'm trying to make us I'm trying to make a struggle through the logical progression of thought in this section. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. All right. Now, the reason we're looking at it, let's just, we'll go ahead and just jump down there right now and look at the, the key verses here, is in Romans chapter 1. If you start looking at, that's Romans chapter 2, so that's why it makes no sense. All right. If you look at Romans chapter 1, probably going to verse 24 where it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. All right, that's the famous passage that people cite whenever we deal with the issue of homosexuality within our culture. All right? That's where we're trying to go. But we're trying to get there by picking up the logical train of thought and then doing our best to see when we arrive at this verse, what's the right way to interpret it because so many, so many sermons have been preached that I think they mishandle this section of Scripture. We, this is what we cannot do. We cannot make it say less than it says. We cannot make it say more than it says. We have to figure out what it says and what it means by what it says. So this morning, we're going to put the whole argument together and move forward. But before we do that, we're going we're gonna to do things a little different here. Okay, you ready? I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to look at, where do I have them written down here? Three verses, all right? Look at verse 24, look at verse 26, and look at verse 28. I, I'm not going to, I've just read them. I'm not going to read them to you right now. And this is what I want you to do. I know that we could have probably done this for the Sunday school hour, but we had to review all the lady, latest happenings with Beth Moore. Um, so for this hour, we're going to do things a little bit like Sunday school, but that's okay. Look at verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, and I want you to identify something that these three verses have in common. Okay? I hear one answer. 
That's one. Okay. I'm not saying your first answer was wrong. I'm just trying to wait for everyone else to, to identify. Okay. Verse 24, God did what? Gave them up. So everybody's version say God gave them up. The NIV? Gave them over. Verse 26? Gave them up. The NIV? Gave them over. Verse 28? Gave them over. All right. Here is the, the, the challenge that we have to figure out. Here's, and I'll, let me explain. This is how most pastors handle this passage of Scripture. Are you ready? And this is the argument that the pastor in Tennessee made, and this is an argument that's been made within Christianity for a long time. All right. When you get to homosexuality, the homosexual is someone that God has intervened and has given them over, given them up to a sinful lifestyle in which there is no recovery from. Because God gave them up to it. He actually got involved and said, that's it. I'm giving you over to it. You're done. That's why the church in Tennessee that made national news doesn't even allow a homosexual to attend services because they are beyond saving. They are beyond hope. They would be considered apostatized, right? They have been given over. They have removed themselves so far that there is no salvation. There is no hope. They are condemned. Now, you can sit there and say, oh, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, but we have to figure out what does it mean that God gave them up? It's used three times, correct? How do we understand this, right? How do we interpret this? Now, here's the thing. We've got to figure out what it means, but we, have to we cannot make it say something it doesn't say, but we cannot make it say something Less than it says. And this is always that, this is that part as a pastor, I get nervous because my, you remember my way, of, my way of handling sermons is different than most pastors. Whatever I have ever believed about this is irrelevant in this sermon, right? Because I'm studying the passage anew. So we have to figure out, again, so I, so I want to make sure that we try to figure out what it says. So, that's, that's what we have to figure out. But guess what we have to do? Before we can try to figure out what the Greek word is and all the, all the work some of you are already starting to look up, before you go there, we've got to try to put together the logical progression of thought to get us there. All right? So are you ready? All right, here we go. Let's start with how the section starts, which is in chapter 1, verse 18. All right, remember this is where the section started. And in verse 18, what did we discover? What happened in verse 18? The idea of God's wrath was introduced. Everybody remember that? God's wrath was introduced, okay? And why is this important? Because this immediately lets you know, lets me know, lets anyone who comes to Romans with even a concern about the issue of homosexuality, which can't be more relevant in our culture than it is right now, okay? And last month was, you know, Pride Month, okay? So, I mean, LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ everything has been talked about and talked about and talked about. When you come to this passage and go, okay, what's the biblical approach? We have to, this entire discussion begins with 
God is a God of wrath. Now right there, forget homosexuality. Our culture doesn't like to believe in a God of wrath. Because all you ever hear, God is a God of love, God is a God of love, God is a God of love. And my God would never, my, well, you, you better start adjusting yourself if you're going to believe in the Christian God. Because the Christian God is a God of wrath. So the subject was introduced. We believe in verse 18 that we learned a number of things about God's wrath. Number one, it is of God. Number two, it is revealed. Number three, from heaven. Number four, it is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Diane pointed this out, I believe, last Sunday. Um, and I think she's on to something. And I think this is very important. So let's, I want to make sure we spend a lot of time on ungodliness and unrighteousness, okay? When we talked about these two words, we said that sometimes in the Bible we believe they're used in a synonymous way, correct? But we believe here, since they're used literally back to back, that they're not necessarily synonymous in the sense that it's describing two different aspects, right? That God's wrath is revealed against. And what, what's the first one listed? Ungodliness. Everybody see that? Right? And we described ungodliness as being more focused on what? An attitude, a thought. A lack of reverence to God, a lack of caring about God, just kind of pushing God out. But it's attitude, it's an internal. And unrighteousness, we believe, dealt with actions. Diane pointed out that if you go through this passage, the passage constantly goes to attitude, actions, attitudes, actions. That it's kind of like this, that 18 sets up kind of the, 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 the outline, and then it focuses on this. But let's make sure we, we make this very clear. From the outset, God's wrath is being revealed against what? All ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Now, why is this critical? This does not, this passage does not start with a focus on homosexuality. It starts with a focus on all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, and God's wrath is being revealed against it. Everybody got that? Yes? All right. Now, <clears throat> so we go from some, some truths about God's wrath, and then we asked ourselves in the next question, the reasons for God's wrath. Why is God revealing his wrath? Why is God so upset? And the first thing we said was he's upset or he's showing his wrath because of what may be known. Everybody remember that? Because that connects it to 18, right? And I know we talked about who hold the truth and unrighteousness, but all this is revealed against all of those things. We could talk. I'm not going to go back through all of that. Okay, you got it? So verse 19, because that which may be known. So my first point was, what's the reason for God's wrath? Because of what may be known. Something can be known, and because of what can be known, this is leading God to reveal his wrath. All right? All right? Everybody understand that? Because God's wrath is revealed, because what may be known of God is, and then we, we see this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shewed it unto them. Now, I know not everyone agrees with, with this interpretation, but I think we, we can, biblically, we can make an argument here that 
What can be known has been it is inside people and it is outside people. That means all people have an internal witness and an external witness, right? Everybody remember that? So something can be known, and not only can it be known, it's been manifested in people, and it's been shown to people. As a result of what can be known, God is demonstrating his wrath. The second reason for God uh, demonstrating his wrath is of what is shown, right? What may be known, and what is shown, and what is shown, according to verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his, and we talked about the things that are being shown, his eternal power and his, and Godhead so that they are without excuse. We refer to that as his divine nature. His eternal power and his divine nature is shown. And how is it shown? Through creation. Through creation. Now this doesn't even deal with the, the truth that is shown inside of man. We didn't even talk about that. This is what's shown to them. Every person who's ever, ever been born, they walk outside, they look at a world, and a basic concept should come up, right? Basic concept should go like this. If I start walking through the woods, right? If I start walking through the woods, and I see something, and I pick it up, and I'm like, huh... It's got words, it's got pages, it's bound. I think millions and millions of years ago, a process began, a natural process, that ultimately evolved this book. Nobody thinks that way. You see something that seems to show design, functionality, purpose, you then immediately assume there's a designer, there was someone behind it. That's just a logical, I, I, now I know I've heard atheists say, that's not true, that's not true. When I was a kid, I knew that it just came there by an accident. No, no you did not. Okay, that, now that's where I get, mad at, I get mad at Christians for a lot of things. That's where I get mad at atheists. You're lying. The natural assumption is something had to make, nothing plus no one usually equals nothing. Okay, right? I mean, that's usually the way it works. So they're like, well, something, well, if there was something, then what made the something turn into everything? How does that work? How do you get from non-living thing to a living thing? Where did life come from? How did life originate? I mean, that violates all kinds of principles, right? Now, I know that's a non-scientific argument, but you get the idea. The basic premise is, hmm, there's enough out there that should make everyone go, huh, how did it get here? And whoever put it here had to be pretty powerful. Had to be pretty wise. I probably want to know who put it here. Right? Now, we've got a culture now that doesn't even care about that question. Right? Now the culture doesn't care. The culture doesn't care. Right? Um, I don't know what happened, but the culture, I mean, we, 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 I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I've, I did an entire discussion about this, right? Remember apatheism, right? There's this, that's the new theism within our culture, apatheism. They just don't, nobody cares. Young people don't care. There used to be a time that young people would be at least concerned. Now they're just like, ah, whatever. Get, get on my phone. I don't care. Well, you don't care until it's all over, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I should have cared. It's too late then. You better care now, but yeah, I, I, you can't. Yeah. There's something wrong, but that, that's, 
That's the issue here, okay? And now, so something can be shown. A third reason for God manifesting his wrath. What can be shown? What, or what is shown, right? And number three, because of man's response. And we start reading about man's response where? In verse 21. Because that when they knew God, and then what, what is their response? Number one, glorified him not as God. All right? They did not honor him. It was a failure to recognize him as supremely worthy of honor. They glorified him not. What's the second reason, thing the man did? They were not thankful. Ingratitude became the, the thing. And when we say not grateful, they're not grateful to God. Right? They're not, they're not grateful. Number three, became vain in their imaginations. Now, I want you to make a, a major point on this one. What, what does this idea of vain in their imaginations mean? Vain in their imaginations is the idea to, is they became what? Their, their thinking became foolish, meaningless, empty. To, and remember, I, I gave you this quote, to reject God is to reject the greatest reality in the universe. The reality which gives the only true meaning, purpose, and understanding to everything. Simply put, when they became vain in their imagination, they no longer could think correctly about anything. Once one begins to deny God, they can't think correctly. Now, I know that's, I hate to say that, but that's what the Bible is proclaiming. And the reason I hate to say that is, I, I've said it so many times, in, in, in my experience, atheists are far smarter than Christians. I don't know how else to put it. I would rather talk to an atheist than to a Christian. If I had to pick, who can I hang out with? Atheist or Christian, I'm choosing the atheist every single time because I'm going to have intellectual conversations with smart people, okay? I don't know why that's the way, but I will say church history hasn't always proved that because in church history, Christians used to be pretty smart, all right? Modern-day Christians, go, go pick up a book, of, you know, from the three, 300 A.D., 400 A.D., 500 A.D. and compare it to any Christian book written today and you'll be like, what happened? We did not move upward. We moved downward. I don't know. But the Bible claims that once you throw out God, thinking goes crazy and haywire. I will say, even though atheists may be smart and intellectual, when it comes to some issues, you do see the vain imaginations, right? Because how can you have morality if you don't have a law? Like you see a lot. And we see, can we agree that within culture, it seems that the culture has lost its mind if you deny reality you become vain and then what does it ends up with a darkened heart a darkened heart now this idea of a darkened heart um, i just i looked up a couple of of, of 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 different things talking about this idea of a darkened heart and uh, this is how some uh, described it here um, their foolish heart was darkened foolish heart senseless or stupid Okay, that's not my word. That's, that's literally from the word, what the word means. Um, and and then the, the, the heart is referring to the whole inner man. The whole inner man. All right, this idea of darkened is covered in darkness, deprived of light. 
Um, and it deals with the eyes, with the understanding, and with the mind. So what happened? God showed everyone the truth, and how did they respond? Not going to glorify you, not going to thank you, and going to become what? Vain in my imagination, and what's the end result? A foolish, darkened heart. That response brings about God's wrath. All right? Now that gets us all the way to the end of verse 21. Now why did I go back through all of that? Because I know what you're thinking. What you're just reviewing. I'm doing this for a reason. Up to this point, who is this text referencing? All people who would be classified in the ungodly, unrighteous category, which would be all people because we're all born sinners. So let me ask you a question, all right, before we proceed. If you were to start reading in the book of Genesis, right? Adam and Eve sin, correct? Everybody should say amen. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, I'm not, okay, if we disagree on that, then we've got problems, okay? And then immediately after Adam and Eve sin, would we agree that there is a downward, a downward progression that seems to start right from the, after the fall, moving forward through the book of Genesis? Correct? We have, what do we have almost immediately? A murder, all right? And then in the genealogy, before we get to Genesis 6, we have a genealogy. I think it's chapter 5. You can look. We have the name of an individual in the line of Cain. What do we hear, learn about this man? Well, Diane knows where I'm going. There's two things about him. See if you can find it. Find it. Genesis chapter 5. I believe it's chapter 5. I'm going from memory. And just look, I think it's five. Oh, no, it's in four. I take it back. It's in four. All right. So in, uh, in 21, we have the beginning of music, at least from a textual basis, because what's made? Harp and an organ. Right? Everybody see that? Okay. Now, that that's, could be interesting. Now, I know what fundamentalist pastors would say, and I use that term in this case to refer to uh, independent fundamental Baptists. You notice music came about after the fall. Okay, I'm like, all right, whatever. Okay, but I won't get into that whole musical battle here. But note verse 23. Lamech, and what did he have? Two wives. Well, where did that idea come from? Right? That seems odd, does it not? What else does he do here? Hear my voice, ye wives. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Either, either this is a description of the one man or he killed two men, right? And then what does he say? What does that mean? Let me read it for those listening online. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech is seventy and sevenfold. What does he mean by that? Oh, come on. This is the book of Genesis, okay? 
This is pretty early on. Most people, even when they read the Bible, they make it to at least Genesis 4. Okay. Okay. What happened when Cain killed his brother? But he, he was kind of banished. He, a mark was placed upon him. But what was the mark placed upon him? To protect him. Right? So in a way, he's almost bragging. I killed two people. And if Cain gets a mark to protect him, Seventy times seven, that concept. In other words, it should work out for me better than it did Cain. Now, what's that seem to indicate? He seems like he has got two Y. He's demonstrating what? An ungodly, unrighteous, not only an attitude, but an uh, un, un, ungodly an attitude and unrighteous in his action. Are you not seeing a downward spiral? Yeah, I would, would everyone say Yes. And then we get to where? Chapter 5, and everyone starts dying. Right? You've got people dying all over the place. Probably some other interesting things. Please now, I just want to make sure you see this. That little part there about Lamech is in, inside a genealogy, and people don't read those. But then they claim they read the Bible. Okay, that's... You've got to look for little things in a genealogy. Sometimes there's little things that are important, right? And then, we and then everyone starts dying in chapter 5. And then where do we end up in chapter 6? We've got some weird thing going on with the sons of God and the daughters of men. I know some people want to say that that's, you know, fallen angels. And I, I know we all kinds of theories going on here. But something's going on not good, right? Okay, and then how, how bad does it get? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on, in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. A downward spiral, right? Humanity, agreed? And now if we continue through the book of Genesis, even after the flood, because there's something in the human heart. Right? I want to make sure we place this concept back on Romans because Romans... It depends on how we read Romans, right? Is Romans Paul giving us, hey, there's this idea of this gospel, this wonderful thing about this gospel. It's great. God's righteousness is revealed from, from faith to faith, right? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Look at verse 17. For therein, everybody remember that? This gospel is awesome, right? It reveals God's righteousness. But wait a minute. Before we talk about the gospel, something else is being revealed against all of humanity. And that is his wrath. And why is it being revealed against all of humanity? Because God showed everyone the truth, internally and externally, and everyone ignored it. And how did they respond to such a great truth? They didn't glorify God. They were not thankful. And became vain in their imaginations. A darkened, foolish heart. They just couldn't get it. A darkened, foolish heart. They just could not get it. And God, that's the reason for God's wrath. It goes on. What happens in verse 22? This is continuing on with man's response. 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What is this? Pride and arrogance. Thinking we've got it all figured out, but they did not. Now, again, that's referring to what? Humanity in general, would you agree? All right. Now, let's continue with this downward, with, with man's response. Let's continue with man's response. All right, I got to go all my notes here. Okay. What's the next thing they did? And changed. Stop right there. That word changed. NIV doesn't use change, does it? Exchanged. The ESV, what does it use? Exchange. This idea of change is the idea of it to exchange. All right? To exchange something. All right? They exchange, there's an exchange takes place. Right? <clears throat> They're, they're not responding right to God, and they take their response one step further. They, now, now they think they're the wisest people in the world. They now think that they're the smartest people in the world, right? They don't need God. They've got their own knowledge. And so then they come along, and they exchange something. They change something. And what, do they, what happens? They changed or exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. All right, the next response man has to this truth is they create their own religion. They create their own religion. Do you see something interesting about the religion they create? Let's look at it carefully. They change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Stop right there. What do you see interesting about this religion they created? Okay. Brenda said uh, they, they focus on the created, not the creator. There is truth to that, but there's something, something to just scream at you about this verse. Something really weird here in this verse. Okay, well, look at the verse. Okay, well, they, they change, they exchange the incorruptible God. Okay, we got that. So they're going to push away the incorruptible God. They're done with him. They're not glorifying him. They're not thinking him. They become vain in their imagination. They think they got it all figured out. So they're going to remove their, but what are they going to replace the uncorruptible God with? There is a progression here. It starts with what? An image of what? A man. Then it goes to? Birds and beasts, and then it goes to creeping things. Right. Here's the thing. This is what they do. They create a religion, and the religion has two aspects. First, of self-worship. Because they create something made in the image of what? Of men. This is the worship of self. When you, re when you reject God, you replace God with self. You replace God. This is the way it's always worked. If you, you're going, I, I hate quoting Bob Dylan since it's very out.
outdated, but you're going you know, to worship somebody, okay? You know, from the famous album, Slow Train Coming. Everyone's going to worship someone. You, you, you're going to. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to worship somebody. That's just the way it is. No matter what you replace God with, you're going to replace it with something. You don't go, I'm done with God. Now I'm just going to live the life that I want. No, you are to self Well, that wouldn't that make sense? You think you're so wise. And every kid who's ever been raised in a Christian home, I, I, I'm done with God. Yeah, because you want to worship yourself. Just say it. You want to worship yourself. That's, that's how it starts. They create something in, in the form of a man, in, in, in the image of a man. I think that's interesting that that's, that, that, that's, that jumps out to me. Like, whoa, wait. And then they go from that to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. It's a downward progression. It's not an upward progression. They replace God, and the next thing they know, they're worshiping bugs. Now you're like, well, I would never worship a bug. You may worship something just as dumb. You worship self, and then you begin to worship what? Well, all the animals were created for the use of man, right? So you begin to worship everything that you think will please you. Which is a downward progression because now you're no longer even now you're no longer even really worshiping self. You're worshiping your base desire and anything that will appease that base desire. It's a downward progression. There's no neutrality here. So I, I put it down this way: they replaced, they they, uh, repl they exchanged the true God and they created their own religion. And this religion has two parts: the religion of self and the religion of idolatry. The religion of self and the religion of idolatry. All right, now I, we could spend, I have an entire book on my iPad. I don't know how many pages it is. I would have to look. Um, and it's just filled. It starts with the letter A and it goes to the letter Z of all the idols and false gods in the Bible. Right? God you didn't even know exist that are mentioned in the Bible you probably never paid attention to. And what it demonstrates is that idolatry and replacing God with something false is true from Genesis to Revelation. What drives me absolutely crazy, oh man, I can't even watch them. On the History Channel, Discovery Channel, whenever they'll do a documentary and they'll, they'll say, let's do a documentary about ancient Israel. The myth is, is that ancient Israel was monotheistic, but that's not true. We have evidence that they were polytheistic and they worshipped idols. Wow, really? I wonder where you... Like they say that, that, that disproves the, the religious view of, of, of Israel. I'm like, no it doesn't. The Bible is... They did that from the very beginning. Well, I, I, I want to write into the History Channel. I'm like, you're saying it like it's some top secret. Did you know the monotheistic Jews of ancient Israel were actually polytheistic? Shh, don't tell anyone. Those Christians don't know that. I'm like, we only preach about it like nine million times. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how the academic world can be so clueless there. And that, we, It's all over the Bible. Idolatry is, it's everywhere, right? I mean, they come out of Egypt and immediately, what do they do? Whoo, take off our clothes and run around a golden calf. Yay! I mean, like, it took like three seconds, right? I mean, that, that, that was, wasn't that constantly the problem? That, 
The temple would get absolutely desecrated and they would move in what? The false gods into the temple of God, which is insane, right? But this is, this, this is very important. This is very important, and, and this is a side note, but I want to throw this in. The, the Old Testament teaches us one thing. People inside Christianity, inside Judaism, they, we are, because this is in the human heart, we will constantly exchange the true God to worship self, but this is what we don't do. We don't do this. I'm not a Christian. I'm done. No, 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 no. We come walking into the church, open a Bible, exchange the true God for worship of self, and still call it Christianity. That's the thing that makes me want to burn buildings to the ground, okay? Not literally, but figuratively. Because why? To me, I have more respect for someone like, I'm not a Christian. Don't claim it when all you care about is yourself. Don't pretend. But that's what we do. Israel didn't just burn the whole temple down and start over. They just moved the false worship into the temple. <laughs> that's how it always works. And Christians are clueless when it happens. Like, Oh, what happened? Well, what happened is you walked in and you brought it in with you. and you didn't. Remember Corinthians, same thing? They kept bringing Corinth while still claiming to be Christians. That's what happened. So we exchange. Now, here's where we are. All right. Here's where we are. Okay. Oh, I, I, there's so much I can say about verse 23, but this is where we're, we're going to go. Okay. All right. Verse 24. This is where it's all led to. I had to go back through all of that to get us there. So far, would we say this has been a description of what? Of the human race and the downward progression sin has caused. And we read this downward progression starting where? In Genesis. It's true of every human heart. It's true of all people. Only those who have been saved hopefully are fighting against this downward spiral. But this is the way it works. This is the general progression of man. Verse 24 starts with the word wherefore. The NIV? Therefore. All right, so everyone's in agreement. Therefore. All right, now here's the thing. We got, we, we got all of, man, of man's response to God's truth, right? We see all of it. Glorified, not, was not thankful, became vain in their imagination. Pride, profess, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then what else? They, they created their own religion. They created their own religion. Everybody see that? Okay. Now, here's what we have next. We now, I don't, we're not going to give this a point in the outline because right now I'm, I'm just want you to follow the flow of thought. Something is about to happen based off man's response. And what's about to happen is described as wherefore, based off man's response, which we just read, correct? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness. Now stop right there. Everyone wants to focus on the homosexual being given up, right? Who's being given up in verse 24?
Now this, this is where this becomes very complicated from a textual standpoint, all right? Because either one, remember the way some pastors describe the giving up? Is you're just done? Okay, well, wait a minute. If I bring that idea to giving up, then who does verse 24 refer to, right? Now, how do, how do I, I've got to understand what giving up means, correct? I've got to understand what giving up means. Does anybody have any idea what the word means? The Greek word here that's translated give up. Does anybody know? I'll give you some, uh, some basic usages of it. To give into the hands of another. To give over into one's power or use. To deliver to one something to keep, use, take care of, or manage. To deliver up one to custody to be judged, condemned, punished, or scourged, tormented, or put to death. All right? Now that seems pretty strong language, right? There is a, there's a giving up over to something. It's giving it to something, right? Correct? Like if I have a book and I give it to or give it up to, I'm placing it in your hands for you to use, for your purpose, for whatever. I'm giving it up to you, right? This is giving it up to something. Now if you look at verse 24, this is where this gets really complicated. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, here's the question. Who's he giving up to? If we say everyone, then is everyone given up over to this? And if so, how do we understand that? Or is he stepping in to certain people and giving them over? Now this is hard to, now Christians have, are very divided on this. I don't know if I have a good answer here, but this is critical. Right? Let me make this very clear. Everyone in this room has read Romans. You've had to interpret this somehow. And I know what I'm going to hear. No, I didn't. Okay, well, I don't want to hear that, but you, you should have, right? Or, try, let me say it again. If you've read this and you don't have a good def, uh, uh, understanding worked out, then you didn't read the Bible. You read words on a page. Okay, that doesn't count. You've got to understand this. What does it mean? I don't have a good answer. So, Okay. Right. Well, there's no, there's no textual relationship, but it's something to be discussed. So I'm going to give you some options. You ready? All right. The, the, just the word give up doesn't help us a lot, right? It gives us the basic understanding. It's to give up to something. All right. So here is our concepts. All right. First. This is in reference to humanity at large, and whatever this giving up to has some implication for everyone. Right? Now, what does that mean? That's hard. To, we, we still got to figure it out, but that would, would at least place it in the, in the camp of where? Everyone. Agreed? All right. Option number two. Everyone is ungodly and unrighteous, but they can start this downward spiral in their own personal life 
and they reach a certain point in their downward spiral that God steps in and go, okay, here you go. I'm going to give you completely over. So this would mean the giving up refers to a specific kind of people who have gone through a, a downward spiral on their own. Does that make sense? Now, what does that giving up mean? Same, we got the giving up, we have, we're left with the same question for both, right? So what's our issues? We got to identify who's being given up, and we have to identify what does it mean to be given up. Who and what does it mean? Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think the heart here um, used a couple of times in this section is referring to the inner man. To the inner man. All right. So. So everybody got the basic idea? So we got to figure out what, what two things. Number one, who's being given up? Whoever said that? Emma, whoever? Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay. All right. Who's being given up? And number two, what does that mean? And what's your two options for who? Everyone somehow, right? Every lost person, humanity, or number two, some specific person who has taken the downward spiral and they reach a point that God's like, I'm done. And then, what does it mean to give up? Right? What are our two options for what does it mean to give up? Number one, to give up just is some general giving over right, to natural consequences of sin, uh, given over to the, just, I'm going to give you over so you can pursue your sinful desire. It's kind of a general understanding or... Giving up means I'm giving you up over to something that there is no return from. All right, I know we're going to end with questions and not answers, but we have no choice here, okay? <clears throat> you see how we end up here, right? He's, he's made a logical progression, but this is where the, like, this is the whole argument, this is the whole argument of the section. So let's, let's review it again. Everybody ready? All right. Question number one. Who's being given up? And what two options do you have? Everyone, or it's referring to a specific person who's in their own downward progression, reaches a point that God's like, I'm done with you. All right? Number two. What does it mean to give up? And what's your two options? It's just a general giving over. Maybe we could call it natural consequences just to lust, and it's just a general thing that can apply to anyone. Or, the giving up implies a special giving over to you or giving over to a condition which there is no coming back from. Now that's a radical thought, if you take it to its logical conclusion, right? Because not just homosexuals are giving up here. Now, you could argue that the giving up here leads to homosexuality. So if you take it to mean that, then every homosexual is what? Is given up, and there's no hope for them. Whew. Now there's plenty of testimonies of people who claim they were once gay and have been delivered. Well, then that would... 
It's not even about being unpardonable. It's the fact that there's no, it's not about that the fact that sin can't be forgiven. It's the fact that there would be no, there's, God just is done with them. It's just, you're finished. So, I don't know. Like, we got to answer this. Now, if we don't want to make it say what? More, but we don't want to make it say less. You've got, I'm trying to put the burden on you to figure this out. I'm trying to put the burden on you to figure this out. Now, you're, you're only left with a couple of options, right? What's, what's, the best you, what's the best you can do to try to figure this out? The phrase give up, right? That Greek word, look up every place that Greek word is used in the New Testament and see if it gives you any clues. What's the second thing you can do? Do you have any cross-references? Any cross-references that would help? What's the third thing you can do? What's the third thing you can do? Find your favorite commentary and just use it. Okay. Or, number four, what's the fourth thing you can do? Does anybody here struggle with homosexuality? Who cares if God gave them up, right? I think that's how most churches handle it. Now, if, if the text says God gave up liars, or people who lust, or women who don't submit, <laughs> all of a sudden that giving up would be a very general thing that didn't really mean anything bad, right? Because now it would have, but now it gives up to that, ugh, ugh, we don't like that. <sighs> That's disgusting. Ugh. God gave them up. They're just done. And most churches, that's the way they've handled it, right? They've kind of done this. Homosexuals, we don't care. The only time they want to talk to homosexuals is to yell that they're going to hell. Some churches don't even want them inside the church. Right? Well, I went to an independent fundamental Baptist church. Um, there was a gay man who attended, and uh, we got, you know, some of the men were pulled up by the pastor. He's gay. I, I need to know this? Because he was being placed in a separate category. Almost viewed as being given up. We have to figure this out. All right? Now we could play little games and I could give you a little I could give you a little answer and you would all just accept the answer as if I was right but that's not that's not teaching you. We've got to figure out what it means. All right? We'll stop right there. Well God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that this review and this challenge will get everyone this week really focusing on trying to figure out what this means so that we can interpret these three being given over and given ups that we can interpret them to not mean anything less than they mean, but to not mean anything more than they mean. I pray we do so with fear and trembling. It's your word, it's not ours, and I pray that we would take it serious. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.